the, the sermon that Peter delivers on the day of Pentecost. And, and we haven't even made it through this sermon yet. There's so much in this sermon that, that we, uh, we actually are going to back up a couple of verses and talk a little bit more about David and Jesus today. So we're going to back up just a little. And, and to remind you kind of where we're at here, um, Peter has given us Joel, the, the prophecy of Joel, that said that the Spirit would be poured out on everyone, on all believers, and, and they have literally seen this happen. Peter stands up to give this sermon immediately after this, is, this happens, so they have literally just seen and heard and experienced that. And, and then we saw that, that Peter applied Psalm 16. Now, Psalm 16 was when David was asking God to save him, God did, and David became king. And then he applies it to Jesus and says that the grave cannot hold him. And we saw last week how that applies to us. The grave cannot hold Jesus. The grave cannot hold the believer in Christ either. Death has no grip on you as a believer in Christ. And we saw how that fits with Psalm 16 going from David to Jesus to the believer in Christ to us. So we're going to pick up in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. And it will be up here behind me. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has, he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not... Was it not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of, of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So let's look again, context, because there's some cultural context that we have to... Uh, we have to understand, first of all, the Jewish people understood the Messiah. They, under, they in fact, were, were looking for a Messiah. It was the long-awaited Messiah. They knew that a Messiah was coming. Now, in the New Testament, it's called Christ. And we say Jesus Christ. Now, Christ isn't his last name. <laughs> Christ means Messiah in Greek. So he is, he is saying Jesus is the Messiah, and, and they understood that there was going to be a Messiah. But they had a hard time reconciling Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, with the Messiah that would be the king that came from David's bloodline. So many Jews thought there were two Messiahs, one that would suffer and one that would be king in the lineage of David. So what Peter is doing here is he's taking what they already believe and, and focusing it in and saying this Jesus is the Messiah. He both suffered and is king. Seated at the right hand of God, as a matter of fact. 
So he's, he's telling them that Jesus fulfills both sides of this. There isn't two messiahs, there's one, and it's Jesus Christ. And remember, these folks that are gathered here, that are listening to Peter on this first time, his, his first real sermon, this is the day of Pentecost. Many of these people had been in Jerusalem since Passover. These are the appointed feasts, Passover to Pentecost, and then first fruits after Pentecost. So these were the appointed feasts. So many from all over the area came to Jerusalem for these feasts. So these people who are gathered here and are listening to Peter speak have seen Jesus' trial, his beating, his whipping, his crucifixion. And then they have seen Jesus walking around for 40 days, it tells us in the first chapter of Acts, for 40 days. So they have seen this man, Jesus, beaten, whipped, crucified, stuck in a hole in the ground, and then walking around for 40 days. They've witnessed all of this. And so Peter's not giving them any, any out here. You've seen this. How many times does he, in just this short passage, say, you've seen it, you've heard it, it's happened. Then they're gathered here, and they see the Holy Spirit come, and they, they have the sound of the rushing wind, and they have the tongues like flame coming down to each, each person there, each believer there. And then the, the disciples and everyone speaking in languages they did not know before, so that everyone heard the message of God in their native language. All this happened, and they have been witnesses to it. They have seen it, they have heard it, they have experienced it. So... This is who, Jesus, who Peter is talking to about Jesus, and he's tying together these two ideas of the Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and the coming king that, of the lineage of David. Now, so, so I wanted to spend a little time on David and prophecy here because it's an important connection. Verse 30 is based upon a promise that Nathan made to David. God gave this message to Nathan the prophet, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, 2 Samuel 7 is about... David's conversation uh, with God, and it, and it happens through Nathan. Now, this conversation is interesting for a couple of, of reasons. First of all, David is saying, hey, I want to build you a temple, God. I want, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm sitting here in a cedar house, and, and the Ark of the Covenant is someplace. I want to build you a house. God, I'm going to build you a temple. And, and God says, no, you're not. He says, no, you have too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build this temple. Now, have you ever thought about this? David did exactly what God asked him to do. He conquered. He conquered and expanded the territory of Israel exactly as God told him to do. And yet, when it comes to what David wants, I want to build you a temple. God says, no, you can't do that because you did what I, what I told you before. We have a part to play in the, in the plan of, of redemption. And, and some are conquerors, and some are planters, and some are harvesters. And we all have a part to play. Now, David 
was, was kind of upset in 2 Samuel 7. He's kind of upset about, wait, I did what you told me, and now you're telling me because I did what you told me, I can't, have, I can't be the one that builds the temple. We have that attitude, don't we? I'm, I'm following God, and this is what I want, God. David is told by, by God through Nathan, you're not going to build the temple. What is going to happen, what you're going to get for being the conqueror that I made you to be, what you're going to be is the great father of the Messiah, the savior of the world. Now, that seems like a pretty good trade to me. Way better than building a temple. He is going to be the bloodline that the Messiah comes from. So we have to think, we play our part in the plan of, uh, of redemption. We play our part in God's plan. We, may, we, may, we usually like the part we play, but we don't always like the blessing we get from it. Think of David. His, he, he never saw the Messiah. He never saw the prom, this promise come true. He was, as, as Peter pointed out here in his sermon in Acts, He's dead and buried and in the tomb right over there. He never saw this happen. But his name is still revered among the Jews. His name, we still know his name because he is the lineage of Jesus. That's what he, he received as his blessing. Now, this prophecy is also repeated again in Psalm 132 which says, the Lord swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. I will set one of your offspring on the throne. Now, Psalm 132 is also interesting. It lines up with 2 Samuel 7 in the sense that Psalm 132 is all about the Ark of the Covenant. It's all about the, how, how David has cared for the Ark of the Covenant all along. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is the physical representation of God. That was their, the physical presence of God in their minds was the Ark of the Covenant. And so David is, is in Psalm 132, is, is taking care of this, this Ark of the Covenant. He's taking care of the physical representation, the physical presence of God. So every Jew here, and, and you, you see that Peter is specifically talking to Jews, every Jew here knew these prophecies. They knew the prophecy of David. They knew the prophecy of, of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so they would have made these connections that we, we pretty easily skip over. When he is saying, when, when Peter is saying, Jesus is this Messiah, he is saying, this is the promise to David, and the physical presence of God in the promise of David. Jesus. He makes a, 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 a tremendous argument, a tremendous representation of, of who Jesus is by, just by the words he says. And then he says, very clearly, God raised Jesus. Verse 32 says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and you guys saw it. You saw it happen. You know it happened. Jesus is the Messiah because death cannot hold him. Psalm 16 said it would be that way, and it is. Death could not hold Jesus. So he is the Messiah. 
And again, I'll remind you, these people that are listening to Peter this time have literally seen this and heard this with their own eyes and ears. They have literally experienced all of these things themselves, firsthand. And God has raised Jesus and has, has placed him, exalted him to the right hand of God. We talked last week about the idea of the right hand. How from Psalm 16, how the, how the right hand is the, is the bodyguard so that the, so the bodyguard could shield and still have a sword in his right hand. He's the bodyguard. It's also the idea of the right-hand man. In majesty like this, when you're talking about God as king, being seated at the right hand of God means being equal with God. So he is equal with the king. He's equal with God. So this is the, the Messiah that came from the lineage of David, that was raised from the dead and is now equal with God. All of this showing who Jesus is, showing Jesus as the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the prophecy to David. He's the fulfillment that, that he is the descendant of David. We know that from the Gospels. Matthew follows the lineage down of Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. Luke follows the lineage of Mary, Jesus' earthly mother. Both come from David. We know Jesus is from the lineage of David. We know he is the king that will reign forever. As just as Nathan told David would happen. And then he uses, in, in verse 34, 35, he uses Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. In fact, Jesus actually uses Psalm 110 to, show, to tell people he is equal with God in the Gospels, in Matthew and, and in Luke. He, he uses quotes from Psalm 110 to say, I am the Messiah and I am God. I am equal with God. And now Peter uses it here to show this is the Messiah. You see how Peter, for the, for the Jewish crowd, is gathering up all of these messianic Psalms, all of these, these prophecies of who the Messiah would be, and he's pointing them all to Jesus. He's saying, look, he fulfills every one of these. This is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Now, there's one other point that I would make from this passage, and that is uh, something that we don't think about often. And that is that it says that the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus and Jesus poured it out to us. Now, why is that important? Because that means that the Holy Spirit within you is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of the Messiah. We, we sing songs about living in Christ, our living hope in Christ. And it's because this, this passage here tells us the Holy Spirit, God gives the Holy Spirit to Jesus. Jesus gives it to us. And so all through Galatians and 1 Peter even, you have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ being, being used interchangeably. The Spirit of Christ is what we have. We are given the, the, the Spirit of Christ. So when I tell you last week, Psalm 16 applies to you, you cannot be held by the grave, it's because you have the living Christ within you. 
If it couldn't hold Jesus, it can't hold you now because you have Christ within you. You have Jesus Christ within you. That's, that's the spirit that we have. So when we are crucified with Christ, then we, our new life, our born-again life, is that, that we live in Christ, is literally Christ inside us. That's how we now live. We now live with the spirit of Christ himself inside us. So he presents Jesus is the Messiah. He is the descendant of David, the one that the prophet Nathan told David would come, the one that Psalm 132 said would be the physical presence of God. He is the descendant of David. He is the physical presence of God. He is the ruler that comes from the lineage of David. He is the one who will pour out the spirit that, that Joel talked about, where the spirit comes out on, on man, woman, child, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, and the power of the spirit comes. He is the one who pours out the spirit. He is the one that the grave cannot hold, that death has no grip on. Because he's resurrected. And he is the one who is seated at the, at the right hand of God, equal with God. That is who lives in you as a believer in Christ. That's the power you have. I, I have said every week since we started Acts, there is no reason for a Christian to live a powerless life. We have this power within us the life of Christ in us, the resurrected Lord in us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the suffering servant within us. We need to live in that power. Do you have the King of kings in you? Do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? Because you can. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. If you do not have the King of kings and Lord of lords living within you, the very spirit of the living God within you, you can right now. It's a simple prayer that says, God, I recognize that I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus was beaten and whipped and crucified to pay my price. That he is the Messiah, the Savior. And so I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life, empower me with your spirit. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor, let them know. This morning, do you know Christ, but you're living a powerless life? Read back through Acts 1 and Acts 2 and see the power that you have been given and live in it. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this incredible Sermon of Peter, 
and for its message to us of who Jesus is, let us, let us never forget that we live His life in us. That we are empowered by His Spirit so that even the grave cannot hold us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.